too. Ah. <clears throat> okay, uh, this is going to be cheesy, but I want... It's Palm Sunday. Give everybody else the palm, uh, the high five next to you. Come on, give somebody a... Yeah. Yeah. Palm Sunday. Hey, uh, so good to see you. What a great morning to be together and to celebrate and to worship. Um, I went to the back because I often forget. We encourage you. We think there's almost no better time to invite somebody to church than next weekend because we just think the resurrection of Jesus is the game changer that makes possible life with God. And so uh, I went and grabbed a raft of them, and I'm going to give them to all my unchurched friends. And because I'm a pastor, I can just do this. I'm saying, come to church. It's my job. But you can do it not because you're paid to do it. You can do it just as a part of this family and say, come on out to church. We have a great service this Sunday. Our Easter choir is going to be there. On Friday, we're going to have communion again, and we're going to contemplate the cross. It's going to be a rich, rich weekend. And so I want to encourage you, grab a stack, use them up. Let's, let's, Let's distribute these with generous love. Amen? Yeah? Okay. Some of you are still going to not do anything about that request just now. Somebody who's going to forget, run out to the foyer right now, grab your stack right now, just go. But you're going to all remember, I know this. All right. Uh, It is Palm Sunday, and uh, this means we're entering Holy Week, this journey of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem and and heads to the cross, and uh, and eventually we get to the empty tomb next Sunday. But um, what what a great thing that we get to do as we consider the, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. We're going to think about that this morning. I, I've got, we, Angel and I have something a little bit exciting this week that we're kind of looking forward to, not just Easter. I always look forward to Easter, but our boys who've been far away are coming home. In fact, so one son comes tomorrow, Caleb from Calgary, and then Noah from Australia uh, arrives Easter morning. So I think it's going to be like the dead come alive for us. It's going to be like, a son who was gone has come home, the prodigal returns going to be a great week, or really anticlimactic, as he's probably like jet lagged and like, yeah, I love you, mom, love you, dad. Um, Thinking about this journey of Jesus, you know, on Palm Sunday, Jesus was welcomed with palm branches and hosannas, glory to God, the king has come, real excitement as Jesus entered on, on the colt into the city of Jerusalem. Crowds are there celebrating and cheering, and then five days later, they're cheering another crowd. I think, I don't think it was the same people, but other crowds are cheering, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus, who would come in riding on a a donkey or a colt, would leave in a body bag. Hard reality. And I, I, we're we're going to spend some time. I, I, I sometimes feel like we hurry to Easter, and I want to pause for, this will be a bit of a harder morning, I think, because we're going to think about the cross. And, uh, but I think Easter's better. The good news of Easter and the resurrection is better when we've actually paused a little bit and considered just what Jesus went through. So to help us think about that, to, just to start us off this morning, I'm going to read a reading from one of my favorite authors, Walter Wangeren, Jr., uh, wrote a, a devotional called Reliving the Passion, This Journey of Jesus 
to the cross through the reflections on Mark. And I'm going to read a a reading that is from the perspective of one of Jesus' followers, his disciples, as he's standing watching Jesus uh, on the cross. I stand apart. I draw no one's attention. I have covered my head. These are the things I see. I see the soldiers casting lots for an undergarment. It's nearly noon. I see a centurion who stands over the soldiers with his arms folded, gazing up at a coming thundercloud, squinting, figuring. Above the soldiers, above the centurion, but yet beneath the sun and the lowering cloud hang three men on crosses, each of them stripped to a loin cloth, a robber, a robber, and you. The wind is picking up. Dust blows by, and this is what I see. A wooden board is nailed roughly over your head, chalk white, and burned with the indictment, the king of the Jews. I say yes. In my soul, I cry yes. But if you're the Messiah, if you're the king of the Jews, why are you crucified? How can this be, Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. My, my mind rejects the things I see. Nothing fits. I call you king. I, I call you master and Lord. You are the Lord. No one has loved as you do. No, not ever, Lord. But I never imagined goodness to be so broken. Jesus, you grieve me. Jesus, you confuse me. This is what I see. Your knees keep buckling. You push yourself up with your legs to to breathe, I think. But the legs lose strength and pop at the knees and your body drops. The arms stretch. The hands clutch spikes. Your shoulder joints separate. Your muscles draw out like ropes. Your rib, rib cage splays. I can count the bones. How do you breathe when your chest is stretched flat? Jesus, you're not breathing. Your own body, when it, when it drags on your arms like that, why, your own weight is suffocating you. Breathe. Sweet Jesus, please breathe. Make fists on the spike heads. Lift yourself up. Open your mouth, Lord Jesus. Please don't die. Don't stop breathing. Breathe. Breathe. What? What are, what are you? Oh, no. Oh, no. 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 Don't, don't do that. Not now. Not while you hang so low. Not in surrender. No, Jesus, don't look at me. Don't look at me like that. I can't stand it if you look at me. My whole body burns like fire. You make me too much here. You're wasting yourself. You should fight for your life, Lord. You cannot die. Rise up. Rise up on your arms. Fight. Fight. Breathe. I read that uh, because I think it's sometimes easy to get dulled or inoculated to what Jesus went through on the cross for us. Um, for some people, I mean, the cross is, is actually something that they, they expect to see in churches and in cemeteries 
It's a fashion statement. It's, it's jewelry that, that people wear. Uh, Oswald Chambers put it this way. He says, all heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terribly afraid of it, while people are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. Yes, there are, there are those who, who see the, the cross as small and maybe insignificant, doesn't mean anything, but we know that the cross is an amazing invitation into a much larger reality, the, the, the invitation into the kind of love we just heard about during our service. The cross is not just a commemoration of death. It's an invitation to life. And I want to, this morning, look at the cross through the lens of Jesus' final words as he was nailed there to those beams. Um, Final words kind of matter, don't they? So we pay attention to to the kind of things people say on their deathbeds. I like what one fellow said uh, he wanted on his gravestone. I told you I was sick. (laughs) Great final words. I'll never forget the words my dad spoke to me and my family as we said goodbye to him the last time. The last words, we didn't know this was his last night, but as we left, his words, and he had to breathe them out much like Jesus on the cross, he could barely breathe. He says, see you all in heaven. Great last words to our family. Words of hope. And then there's Jesus. Thanks to a couple of scholars, uh, Hans Bornsma and Dr. Krish Kandia, both connected to Regent College in Vancouver, um, they, uh, they pointed out how these final words of Jesus are, are seven hospitality statements. They're all linked by, in the way that they're connected to this whole idea of the hospitality of God. Well, look at that. We tend to think of hospitality uh, in, in pretty simple ways. We think of, about having somebody over for tea or, or coffee or a meal, um, sharing, a, sharing some sort of food together. That, that's often how we think. Hospitality, is, biblically speaking, is so much bigger, so much richer. It's an, it's an expansive word. Um, I like uh, Star Trek, uh, the original, and the Enterprise would go exploring, you know, the universe. What were they looking for? Hospitable planets. Planets that could support life. And that's what hospitality, in a sense, is, is like. It, it's, it's life-giving. Um, I, I've always liked Henry Nouwen, the, the Catholic priest's definition of hospitality, where he says hospitality is creating space for strangers to become friends. Now, the kind of hospitality that we see in the cross, that we see in, in Jesus, is revolutionary and extravagant, because it doesn't just create space for, for strangers and friends, it, it creates space for enemies. And these things Jesus said on the cross invite us to, to share in God's revolutionary hospitality, not only being welcomed ourselves as, as strangers and enemies that we once were to God, but they also challenge us to, to welcome other strangers and enemies and outsiders in His name and for His name's sake. Let's walk through them briefly this morning, these, these seven statements of Jesus. Would you bow your heads first? Let's just pray. Lord, there's no way that this preacher can do justice to these words that you spoke from that cross on that most significant of days. And so we pray, Lord, by your Spirit, 
you'd speak them to us today. Lord, we'd hear them from, from your voice, from your heart, and uh, that we might be encouraged, but also inspired, but also uh, changed by them, God, transformed so that we might actually live them and have them, have them transform who we are. We pray these things. Speak to us now, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke's gospel records Jesus' first words from the cross as, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Imagine him saying those words. Now, now in some senses, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus says this to his enemies from the cross. Um, Throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus kept on saying things like, love your enemies. And he got really practical. He said, loving your enemies like actually means blessing them. Uh, You know, when, when people do bad to you, actually do good to them. He said, pray for your enemies. He said, bless your enemies, love your enemies. And maybe, if, I don't know if you found this, I think this is one of those teachings of Jesus that I have believed for a long time. It sounds really great until I'm actually face-to-face with an actual, live, real enemy. And then it seems irrelevant to me. I don't want to love my enemies. But here's Jesus, who, by the way, always is like this. His life and his words always matched up perfectly. Here he is in, in, in the darkest of moments. Here he's praying and pleading for God's grace for the Jews who are rejecting him, for the Romans who, who in that moment are, are brutally executing him, for the, for the soldiers who are, who are gathered around the cross who, who had just nailed his hands and his feet to beams of wood, to to the crowds who are blessing Jesus' death and, and cursing his life. What's maybe more remarkable about Jesus in this moment in his prayer is that he's not praying for himself. He's actually praying for others. That, that's actually a remarkable thing right, right there that he wasn't thinking about himself. I don't know if I'd be in that place in that moment You'd think he'd be using his last words to ask the Father for help or for strength or for rescue. And here he's not praying even for himself or for his friends. He's praying for his enemies, the ones who put him there. Even in, in dying, he makes room for them. These are, these are perhaps some of the most revolutionary words ever said in light of their context. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And they speak right to us. It's like I I, kind of feel like Jesus was trailblazing a pathway for us to follow in his footsteps of grace when it comes to how we treat those in our lives who hurt us or offend us, betray us, those who break our hearts, hurt us in all, all manner of ways. And Jesus says, revenge and bitterness is not the way. Forgiveness is the way. It's a better way. It challenges us to walk out this way of of mercy in our relationships with others, in relationships with those who've who've wronged us, even when the offense is great. Because the offense was really great, the greatest ever. 
I got to say, folks, out of all the statements Jesus says, this is probably the one that challenges me most. It seems like the hardest one for me to live. And so I have to cry out to God for grace that I'd be able to be a grace giver. Only God can, can change us like that. Now, Jesus' amazing prayer for the mercy for his enemies contrasts with what is recognized as his second saying of the cross, where Jesus says, I am thirsty. I thirst. Where he's now the one asking for mercy. I think these, are, these words are both profound and puzzling. As in the one who says, I thirst, is the one who also said in, in John chapter 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Or what he said to the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. These words, I thirst, came from the one who taught his disciples that quenching the thirst of strangers was evidence of their love for God. <laughs> these, ones, these words come from the one who miraculously saved a, a wedding party from grave embarrassment by turning the water into wine. Jesus, it turns out, is an authority on water. I, I like how uh, Chris Candaya, how he adds to this. He says, isn't it both ironic but poignant that the one who could calm the storms and walk on water now restrains his own power and relies on others to bring him a drink? I, I think this moment of, of vulnerability and humanity that we see on, on the cross reminds us of a wonderful truth. Folks, Jesus has walked in your shoes. He, he knows what it means to have suffered, to, to have been thirsty. When, when we're thirsty, when we're in need, when we're suffering, we know that He can, he can relate. He's, he's felt that. He's, he's shared in our experiences of, of lack, of there not being enough. He knows what it means to be in need. As, as Hebrew 4 reminds us that in Jesus, we have a, a representative who understands our weakness, which of course means that, that we can be real with God no matter what we're going through. You don't have to pretend. You can, you can actually own up to, to the stuff that actually is bad or wrong in your life. We can do that. The other thing is that in response to his word, someone dips a, a sponge into a bucket of vinegar and lifts it up to his mouth, and Jesus receives it. He, he takes that drink, and he becomes the, the receiver of an act of hospitality in his darkest moments, which, which means that when we're in need ourselves, we can be like Jesus and, and, and see it as an opportunity to give others the blessing of hospitality. I, I remember again when my dad died and, and I came back after we'd been there as, as we journeyed with him in his last days and then celebrated his life and we came back to BC. That one of the first things I, I did as a pastor was did another funeral when I was here. And it was so hard. And there were, there were, there were days where I felt like my emotional tank was the lowest it's ever been. Uh, discouraged and, and just heavy and yet, for my job, I could put on the face. And uh, I think most people thought I was okay, and my wife knew I wasn't. And she said, you need to tell people you're not okay. 
And I remember going to the next elders meeting that we had a couple nights later, and I said, guys, I'm really struggling. I need to know that. I need some, some, some flexibility with my hours. I need some time. Would you, would you pray for me? Would you help me? And folks, here's what I've learned. I, I, th- I think um, some of you are amazing stretcher bearers. You've got that gift. I mean, you make such a difference in the lives of others, but I want to remind you that once in a while, you're going to have to be on the stretcher. Jesus' words from the cross, I thirst. I, I think that just gives us permission to, to be in, in those places and, and to be real about where we are, not just with God, but with each other. I, you're going to need to be carried sometimes. And I, it shouldn't surprise you. you, some, of you some, of you, some of you particularly really strong leader types, I can, I can picture you right now, you're in this room. You, you, you're frail too. And you're going to be broken sometimes, and you're going to need a lift. The third statement we have from Jesus on the cross is found in, in Luke 23, and it's, it's made to a criminal who's dying beside him. Let me, let me just read about these two criminals who are famously crucified on either side of, of our Lord. It, it reads in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. I mean, as if Jesus hasn't suffered enough, he's got a guy tied up next to him who's shouting curses. Uh, thank you. Aren't you the Messiah? He says sarcastically, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In that moment, that, that criminal on the cross is the best theologian ever. He sees it. He sees that Jesus is sinless and innocent And then he says to to Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Here is Jesus. He's, He's dying for the entire world, experiencing extreme pain and suffering. Just to just to speak these words as we read earlier, he'd have to heave himself up on his broken feet suffering unmentionable pain just to, just to squeak out some words. And here Jesus offers the most incredible words of comfort and promise and hope and hospitality to this undeserving outcast, to this felon on the cross. It, 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 again, I, I don't think this should surprise us uh, Jesus' hospitality of the outcast is a defining feature of his life. He was marked by how he loved undeserving people. And they flocked to him. You know? I mean, his very birth tells us this. He was born, you know, and, and who were the first at his, at his bedside? The, the, the lowliest of people, the shepherds. We see Jesus reaching out to the untouchables of their day, the lepers, and he not only touched them, I, 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 you, you can see Jesus embracing them. He broke bread, ate meals with tax collectors and sinners, the most disreputable types. And so it's like if, if we missed all of that in Jesus' teaching in life, his deliberate preferential treatment of, of outcasts in his ministry He wants to make sure we don't miss it here, where he gives a VIP welcome to to one more into his kingdom. To a guy who, think about this, 
this guy is going to be dead in, in maybe minutes or hours. And so there's nothing that this, this robber on the cross can ever do to repay Jesus. He can't earn it. He can't do some grand gesture of, of thanksgiving. He can't make a, a big offering in, in Jesus' name. He had nothing to offer. And so, and so this, these words of Jesus remind us just of Jesus' and God's amazing grace. This is God. This, this is divine hospitality where God invites the undeserving and the, the unexpected to come home with him. And folks, I want to just remind you that this ought to give us, this little moment on the cross ought to give us, who put our trust in Christ, the greatest assurance of salvation, the greatest assurance of, of his welcoming us into his family his, his grace is expressed in every way on the cross. It's available to each of us. You don't need to earn it. You can't pay for it. There's no way you can ever pay it back. It's sheer gift. That's who Jesus is. And it also means that as, as his followers, as, as we step into that extravagant hospitality, that we become those who offer grace and mercy to the undeserving, to those who are rejected and outcast in our world. And then as Jesus hangs on the cross, John records his fourth saying, and it's one of the most tender things that Jesus would say. He turns to his mother, Mary. Can you imagine mother watching the execution of her son? And uh, his friend John is there, and he says, woman, here is your son. And he says to John, here is your mother. Again, as if dying for the whole world wasn't enough. Jesus actually arranges for the hospitality of his mother. Uh, New Testament uh, scholar D.A. Carson actually says this, what we see here is an ancient adoption formula. And, and John tells us that from that day on, uh, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Here's the thing. Um, at the loss of her eldest son, Mary was going to be a displaced person. And Jesus, in that moment, he secures her a home. Like, like the words from Psalm 68, God places the lonely in families. And that's what Jesus does for Mary right there. And he still does that today, by the way. He places the lonely in families. He does that through his church. Uh, he, he takes a, a diverse group of strangers. Look at your neighbor for a second. Say, howdy, stranger. And he makes his family, brothers and, and sisters who now share in a different kind of DNA. We find belonging together in Jesus. By the way, this is why uh, when we gather together in any context, but especially when we gather to worship on Sunday mornings, we want to be about throwing out the welcome mat to whoever comes. We want to be sensitive to to those who come, and we want them to be our guests. We want to show the kind of revolutionary hospitality to people who show up here that Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. It's also very practical. It, it will mean that we as a community work to alleviate the suffering of actual displaced persons. And so over the years, we have prioritized and participated in ministries towards widows and orphans, Towards, 
towards ministry that address homelessness in our community or even around the world. It's why we sponsor refugees and, and, and get involved in caring for, for new Canadians who often have come here because they've been displaced by something horrible. In doing these things, we're welcoming strangers in Jesus' name, helping displaced persons find a home like Jesus showed us how to do. Now, both Matthew and Mark record Jesus' last cry, not last cry, his cry of desolation from the cross in the fifth saying, where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the, I'd say one of the hardest things to hear from Jesus' lips. You know, he, it sounds like such a loss of faith in that moment. This is our Jesus. What are you doing? But he's actually quoting Psalm 22, which actually is a psalm of trust. But it, it's a situation where David is, is crying out to God for refuge. David is crying out to God. He's, he's in serious trouble and he's feeling forsaken. Some of you, you know what that feels like. You felt forsaken. Sometimes we feel even forsaken by God. In our darkest moments, that's sometimes how it feels, if we're honest. The description in Psalm 22 is quite poignant. Describes the ridicule and, and that, that he's gone under, the insults he's received, his heart melting like wax, his thirst, uh, the gambling for his clothes, the piercing of his hands and his feet, and, and we read that, and it seems like a <laughs> describe Jesus' crucifixion with uncanny accuracy. But Jesus, his words express a much greater despair at the isolation he was experiencing as he, God the Son, was alienated from God the Father. You see, in some profound and mysterious way, the Godhead, the, the, the one God who is three persons, was, was disrupted by the cross. The, the consequence of, of Jesus carrying the crushing weight of the world's sin on, on his shoulders is that he and his, his father are cut off for a time. That, those that experienced perfect unity together. Somehow Jesus had to be forsaken by his father so that we could be forgiven. He had to be rejected so that we could be accepted. He was excluded from the mercy of God so that we could be included. Here's the, what, what I'd say is the ultimate act of hospitality. Jesus was a displaced person, displaced from the presence of God so that we could be welcomed and brought home. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? The, the final words of Jesus in, uh, Luke records are found in Luke 23. Let me just read you a bit of the context. It says, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he'd said this, he breathed his last. The centurion seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. It's another deeply profound moment on the cross, isn't it? We, we read that darkness fell for three hours, and then at the end of those three hours, as, as Lincoln described last week, this, this, this curtain 
that separated people from the presence of God in the temple. That, this curtain was torn from top to bottom, something no human hand could do. A, a way was being made. <laughs> it was, it was a, a statement that God was declaring that that is no longer a stranger to his people, but all are welcomed into his most holy presence. And it's in that moment that Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is a, a prayer that Jesus prays of unwavering trust in his Father. I suggest it's the kind of prayer we can pray. In fact, in the Anglican uh, Common Book of Prayer, this is the kind of prayer, prayer you pray at the end of the day, just before bed, you would pray this prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Growing up, I, I learned a different prayer from my mother. Uh, she taught me to pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then the, you get gets to the good part here. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Thanks, Mom, for creating this really real fear of death, just as I nodded off to sleep. Thanks for doing that. That was good, actually. Why don't we pray that? Why don't we teach our kids to pray that now, I wonder? Anyone thought? No? Um, anyone else taught that prayer? Anybody? Uh, yeah? It's actually, I, I actually don't think it's as bad as I'm making out. I uh, appreciate that heritage. But Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We can pray that prayer with Jesus. It's, it's actually a hospitality prayer. It's not about us getting, giving hospitality. It's, it's about us receiving the hospitality of, of a protective father, trusting him, receiving what he has to give for us. You can trust him with your life. Folks, this is the kind of prayer, when, if you pray this prayer in a minute, it means that you're trusting that God is actually good, that, that, that even better than, than the, the nicest friend the most loving family member, and their intentions for you for good, God's intentions are better than theirs. He's absolutely trustworthy. We can believe that he has only our very best for us and believes the very best for us. And so Jesus, he says, Father, into my hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. We can pray that prayer as a statement of our trust in God. As that scripture reads, interestingly enough, Jesus' confession there is witnessed by one unexpected person, a Roman centurion, another outsider. And in response to what he sees and hears, he makes a remarkable confession. He actually, he says he praises God, and then he says, surely this was a righteous man. This, this Roman centurion and enemy of the Jews and of Jesus sees what no one else can now. Once again, at the very moment where, where, where Jesus is dying, Jesus is opening up the way for those who were previously excluded to be reconciled and to be brought into God's family. So good. Now, Jesus utters his final words, which we find in, in John chapter 19. He says, and I, I like to think he shouts this, it is finished. There are so many different ways in which those words are true. Jesus' own suffering is finished. He's identified with the pain of humanity to the extreme. The, the, the Jewish sacrificial system, the, 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 
the sacrificing of bulls and lambs as a token sacrifice of people's sins was ended because sin, it's now the, the, the once and for all sacrifice that covers all sin truly was made by Jesus on the cross. The captivity of humankind to sin is finished because Jesus paid the ransom in order to break us out of our slavery to sin. This is the best ransom hostage story ever. The Passover is finished as Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world and fulfills everything that the Passover pointed to. The battle with evil is finished as Jesus, the conquering king, wins victory over death. I, I, I love uh, Walter Wangeren's words here again. He says, he, he says this as a prayer. He says, Jesus, when you died, you broke the wall that divided us from God. You struck it, you cracked it, you tore it apart, you made a door of that which had been death before. Love that. These uh, seven strange sayings from the cross on that terrible Good Friday paint, a, a, I think, a beautiful picture of, of Jesus as the one who, who offers us the most extravagant hospitality. But I'll say it again, as I hinted earlier, these words aren't meant to be just words of inspiration for us and encouragement for the insider. These, these come with an urgent challenge. Will we join with Jesus in, in making room to, to invite others, outsiders and, and strangers and even enemies into our lives, into our, our hearts, and, and, and sometimes even into our homes? Hearing Christ's words from the cross again, my, my prayer for us this morning is that we'd be challenged to, by the radical hospitality of God, and we might consider what it means for each of us to walk in the way of the cross. To help us do that this morning, to, just to wrap things up, we're going to spend some time praying and reflecting. And so I want to encourage you, if you'd like, to bow your heads. I'm going to invite the music team to come forward. And I'm going to lead you through some questions that you can consider this morning in response to each of these things that Jesus said. So I just challenge you to have an open heart. Uh, we, we know Jesus is here. And allow him to, to speak these words freshly to you. And you can respond. So if you want to close your eyes, that help, it's helpful to keep you reflective. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Is there anyone in your life right now that you need to forgive? I know this can be uh, such a difficult thing to consider and wrestle with. Um, the offense done against you might be great. But Jesus models for us a better way. Forgiveness without conditions. Is God bringing anybody to mind today? It might be a family member. It might be a friend who, who let you down. It might be a spouse or an ex-spouse. Could be an organization, could be 
someone you worked for. Could be your pastor or a church you once attended. Allow Jesus to to shine his light onto that this morning. God brings someone to mind, ask for his grace to be able to forgive. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Where do you thirst right now? Where is it you feel empty? Your heart, your spirit, your mind, your body, whatever need you might have, bring it before Jesus right now. Bring that to him. Tell them what you're going through. For some of you, the next step with that might be to actually share that with someone else, with our prayer team after the service or with a friend. Um, to allow yourself to step onto the, the stretcher for a bit. And uh, yes, we bring it to God, but we bring, it, bring those needs to each other as well. Then there's Jesus' response of grace to an outsider, to the criminal on the cross, someone who had nothing to offer. I, I wonder this morning, is there an area of brokenness in your life that you need to ask for God's mercy for? You can be assured that as you bring that to Jesus, he will not turn away from you. He'll offer you words of healing and hope. Bring that brokenness to Jesus. What about your heart towards outsiders or the undeserving? Is your heart soft and generous and welcoming to outsiders like Jesus was? Or is there some kind of hardness of heart or even indifference towards the needs of others? Wherever you are on that scale, why not invite God in this moment to transform your heart to give you Jesus' capacity to love.
Then there's Jesus' care for his displaced mother. How might God be asking you to extend Jesus' extravagant hospitality to others, especially to widows and orphans, to the homeless, to those who've been enslaved uh, through human trafficking, to refugees or newcomers to our country? Is there something that Jesus is asking you to do or give? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps there's a place this morning where you feel forsaken by God. Jesus here gives us permission to to bring our doubts and our questions to him. You can do that right now. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus modeled for us this absolute trust in the the character and love of his Father. And he invites us to trust his Father too. Is there an area in your life where Jesus is inviting you to trust in the goodness of God? Finally, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And after all we've heard this morning, after we've heard Christ's words and seen his sacrifice, in what ways are you drawn to loving Jesus because he's, of what he's done for you? Why don't you just quietly thank him and express that to Jesus right now? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We acknowledge you as our king this morning. Lord, not everyone deserves our allegiance and our honor, but you've done everything to show us that you deserve it. You're, You're the king who died for us, who died for his subjects, who died for his people. We can, we can give our loyalty to you to know, and, and know, Lord, that there's, we can trust you You'll never, you'll never turn us aside. You'll never reject us. In fact, I, I think there, there's, though, there's a couple people here today who, who feel like they're outsiders. They're on the outside looking in, and Jesus is, is turning you and wanting to say to you today, not today, someday, you'll be with me in paradise, but today you can enter into my kingdom life. Today. He, uh, <laughs> I, I, I see it, you see it, you, you, you're bound up by your own shame and brokenness and heartache. And Jesus looks with love. He sees your pain. And he says, come into my kingdom. 
I can, I, I'm the, the rebuilder. I'm the restorer. I can make everything better. I'm with you. You can respond to Jesus. Just You can put your trust in him and say, Jesus, into your hands I commit my life and my spirit. We do that today. Thank you, God, for your amazing love. We're so grateful. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So good.